Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're in a series of messages entitled Rebuilding Hope. And as we have been walking through this, it is a study on the the book of Nehemiah, where we are going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the story of what I believe to be one of history's greatest leaders and influencers. Uh, We see through Nehemiah's leadership, God does the miraculous. And as we're going through this each day, I hope that you've been enjoying uh, the devotionals that we've been sending out. We have been sending out a Rebuilding Hope daily devotional Monday through Friday. About 400 of you have uh, signed up for it and are receiving it. There may be more that would like to. You can go on our website, on our Facebook page. Um, You can stop out in the foyer today and uh, give us your information. We'd love to get you signed up. Uh, But every day you'll receive a devotional that is right out of the reading from Nehemiah. And it's been blessing me as we've been going through it. And I know some of you have already reached out and shared that God's been speaking to you daily as you spend time in his word. As we walk through this series of messages, we need to know that the story of Nehemiah is not just a story about some walls that were rebuilt. It wasn't just about a city that became better and restored. God was doing something much greater than that. God was working in hearts and he was working in lives. That's why the title of this series is about rebuilding hope. That's what God's ultimate goal was, was not just to change the architecture of a city, it was to change the hearts and the face of that entire generation so that they would know and serve the Lord again. Something that happened there was not just where their walls rebuilt, their hope was rebuilt. They became the people of God and he did a transformative work in their lives. And I'm believing that God has the same power today to change lives because his word is living and active. And therefore, as we study the book of Nehemiah together, would you pray with me, God, revive and renew your word in our day so that we could see the same promises come to life that we read about in scripture. Will anyone else believe that can happen with me? God is a God is faithful and can accomplish that. Well, as we go through Nehemiah, there are really three progressions that we're going to go through over uh, these next several weeks. We're going to be going from now until uh, the end of October in Nehemiah, and there are movements of what happens. In the first part of Nehemiah, what we see happening is it's all about the vision. The restoring of that which has been broken down. There I am. I'm back. So the walls are being restored. We're really going to have to do some fun editing uh, for the... Uh, for, for, for the video of this one. Uh, so we see the vision renewed. We see the walls restored. And then finally, and it's the greatest work, it's the work that God had intended all along, we see hearts revived. We see the lives of people return to God. How many know that God wants to restore the walls that are broken down in our city, but even more than that, he wants to revive the hearts and lives of people who are spiritually dead and bankrupt today so they could walk in a new relationship with him and experience his life and his promises. So this series is about rebuilding hope, that a hope can come to a group of hopeless people in the world around us. Many see it as hopeless. They think there are things that are happening right now that are utterly hopeless. And we need to know that God's work speaks of something better. The work that he is at work doing even now in hearts and lives. So this series is about rebuilding hope. And we will walk through uh, renewing vision, 
restoring walls and putting our hands to work and then ultimately praying and seeing God do the work of bringing revival to our land, reviving of hearts and lives. Well, last week was the first step in seeing a vision renewed. And it happens not in the eyes and not in the mind. It happens in the heart of the person God wants to use and speak to. That's what happened in Nehemiah. God did something in his heart that changed him forever. And we learned that lesson. If you aren't with us, you will get to see just a preview of what we talked about last week. Please go online and watch it when you have a chance. But we saw that it was because Nehemiah cared. He cared about the things that God cared about. His priorities were in the right place, and therefore God used him. And we see a progression of what happened in Nehemiah's heart and in his life during that time. Nehemiah cared enough to do four things. He cared enough to ask the question. He cared enough to ask what was going on and what was happening. He was... uh, Uh, cared enough to inquire about the things that matter to the heart of God as his brother came. And he was living in the the comfort of the palace as the cupbearer to the king. Jerusalem was hours and hours away, hundreds of miles away, out of his mind, out of his sight, and yet he cared about it because God cared about it. He asked the question. Many of us, we see the injustices of our day We see the things that we know are happening. We know there are things that if we were to really ask the question, it would disgust us. It would take our breath away. It would cause us to even weep. And for many, we become afraid to ask the question. But God desires that our hearts be broken for the things that break his heart because the spirit of the living God is in you. And therefore, you're going to feel pain for the things that pain the heart of God. And if you're not feeling that anymore, your heart may become calloused. You may have been growing in apathy, and God wants to overcome that apathy and allow your eyes to be open so that you can be who he's called and created you to be and have a heart that's sensitive. So he asked, and as he asked the question, and he learned the answers, and he saw the brokenness, he wept over that brokenness. We need to be a people that are not afraid to shed tears and cry for the things that break the heart of God. And as he wept, he went right into prayer, knowing that he couldn't do anything in his own strength. It was only God who could meet the needs that were this great. And as he prayed and as he sought the Lord, the Lord met him in that time of prayer. And he didn't just pray, but he made himself available. And as we walk through this ourselves, and whatever it is that you're walking through in this life, as you're asking the question, as you are aligning your heart to the Lord, as, as you're weeping and being broken for the things that break the heart of God, and as you pray, God will then begin to put the opportunities right in front of you that he wants to use you for. This is the first step to a vision being renewed because as Nehemiah went through these steps, these progressions, God was bringing birth. He was birthing something in his heart and in his life. And you know what he was doing? He was birthing a vision. It was a vision that was so much bigger than Nehemiah was. It was a vision that was bigger than any of the people around him. It was a vision that was so big, it was God-sized. And today I want to talk to you about what it means to have goals and to have big goals like that. I know for many of us, we think about the idea of goal setting at the beginning of a year and you go through that process and you set these goals to begin your year and as you set the goals, you don't often fulfill them and you leave them undone. And there's a reason why I think many of us do that is because you can set these goals that are outrageous, that are too big. You say, you know what, I want to lose some weight this year going into the new year, and so uh, I'm just going to set this goal. In the month of January, I want to lose 70 pounds. I'm going to lose 70 pounds in January. It's only two and a half pounds a day. I think I can do it. I think I can get it done. And then you get to the end of January, and you're sitting on the couch eating chips saying, this was a bad idea. 
You know why? Because you set this ridiculous goal for yourself that you could never accomplish. And so oftentimes we don't meet the goals that we make for our own lives because we set way too big of goals. But on the other extreme, when it comes to the goals and the vision that God has for our lives, I think we have the exact opposite problem. We set way too small of goals for God. And we believe way too small for what he can accomplish. So for ourselves, we set these huge goals we can never do. And when it comes to God and we have him birthing a vision or a goal in our heart, we say, that's way too big, God. I can't ever do that in my own strength. That's the point. That's why God's birthing the vision and goal, not you. So for ourselves, we dream way too big. And for God, we dream way too small. And today it's time that God wants to reverse that. He wants to change that in our hearts. And today I want us as a church and as a people, as the people that God has called and created us to be, to learn what it means to bring about a God-sized goal in your life. Because I believe that God has things that he desires to see happen in and through us, individually, collectively, that are God-sized, not man-sized. I'm tired of doing things that we can control. And often, we're afraid to dream big because we don't want to attach that to the Lord's name. But I'll tell you what, if it's the Lord's desire that it happen, then it's the Lord's power and will that can bring it about. We don't need to worry about how big it is. Nehemiah would have never taken another step if what God was showing him in his heart and he would have really reflected on it. He said, we can never do that. That would never happen. Lord, that could, he didn't do that. He realized if it was God's size, then the Lord would provide it. He would lead, he would guide. And so he's giving birth to this God-sized goal. And today I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter two and see not just how that God-sized goal begins to come out and be communicated but ultimately there are steps that are taken along the way that can allow that God-sized goal to be achieved. So I want to take a look at the first one here, and, and we see it as we just begin the chapter. And as we walk through the entirety of chapter 2 today, we're going to see uh, each of these key elements to bringing about a God-sized goal in your life out of the life of Nehemiah. The first thing we see, it comes out in verses 1 through 4. It says this, Nehemiah, uh, speaks, and this is him speaking, it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And so the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. So Nehemiah is there and he's before the king and we learn from last week, the very final part of verse 11, that Nehemiah tells about what his occupation is. He says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer is more than a glorified butler. It's a place of incredible distinguished uh, access, prominence in the kingdom. This was the person that stood as almost a bodyguard to the king. And anything that would pass into the king's hand would have to go through the cupbearer, anything that he would ingest and drink. And this was there as a safeguard because as many had ill will and would have plots to assassinate leaders and kings, there were people that wanted to assassinate this king. And one of the easy ways to do that would be to poison what he was drinking in a strong drink like wine because as he drank it, he may not even notice the poison that he's ingesting. And so poisoning someone's cup would be an easy way to cause death to him or cause harm to him along the way. So they needed someone that they could trust, someone that would be able to examine or even partake in the cup before it passed to the king's lips to ensure that there was nothing wrong with it. And so Nehemiah was put in that place of honor, that place of trust. That was a comfortable position. Uncomfortable because he could have died at any moment, 
but I believe that they were taking pretty good care of him on the other end to make sure that he was comfortable, alert, had everything he needed so he could fulfill his job very well. Could you imagine the affection the king would have towards someone? Could you imagine if there was someone that followed you in this life and they would take all the risks that, could, that could, you could be harmed or your life could be lost with and they would be willing to step in the place for you? The gratitude that the king would have, the trust that the king would have for his cupbearer was immense and incredible. The relationship and rapport they had, you could see even in the discussion that they were having. No one was closer to the king than his cupbearer. He stood with him. He risked his life for the king. So as Nehemiah is there, he's before the king. He, he had never been sad in his presence. He had always had a better countenance, but something had been happening inside of Nehemiah's heart. And a time had been going by. And for many of us, we read these stories and we, we read them as if it's just a rolling dialogue and all this stuff happens within a day or two. And I know for some of you, you have that idea of the story of Nehemiah that from last week to this week, you know, Nehemiah heard what happened in, in, in the courts. He went away. He cried for a few hours. He wept. He didn't eat that night. Uh, he prayed. The Lord put it in his heart. The next day, he's now before the king. He is holding the cup there, and then he says this, and then the king. And everything happens, like, within a week. You know why? Because that's what we believe uh, happens in this life. We want everything to happen like this. But that isn't how the story is unfolding. Although, as you read it, you could easily assume this is all happening in a very quick amount of time. But there's something that's pointed out to us. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, Nehemiah gives us a distinguishing marker of what time it is. It says this. Now, this happened in the month of Chislev. If you look in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, that, we said, was somewhere around November, December of a year. That's whenever the month of Chislev was. So that's when that took place, that he had received uh, the news whenever he had wept and he had cried before the Lord. Now when we get to chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, and it came about in the month of Nisan, and that's not the car. Uh, <laughs> Nisan is in the spring. That's four months after when Nehemiah had first received this news. So four months have passed by, and Nehemiah has been weeping and praying and mourning and seeking the Lord over what has happened for all that time. And as he's been doing that, now it finally comes about that God is about to open the door for him. The first thing we need to learn as we're seeing God bring about a God-sized goal in our life is we need to learn patience. We need to learn patience. My wife and I, we are having all these joys raising our daughter Lily and she's at 17 months now and we have entered into the season that many people warned us about. They call it the terrible twos. Uh, but it can come early, it can come late and, and as I've watched her and really gotten a feel for what's going on, I, have, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of what this, this season is all about. It's a season when my daughter has the ability to understand and know exactly what it is that she wants. She can make a choice about what it is that she wants However, it's a season that she knows what she wants but cannot articulate clearly what she wants. So she knows what she wants, but as she is trying to make us aware of it, we are not understanding what she's saying. I don't know what stuff is or oosh or all these things, but she's repeating them more and more frustrated every time. And then she's screaming just like we do when we don't understand what we want or how to communicate what we want. And so as we're watching this happen, we're realizing she knows what she wants. We don't know what she wants. We know what stuff is water now. But that's, that's what's happening. And so as that takes place, my wife has started this practice with her. And it's something we want to teach her from a very young age. My wife puts her hand on her hand and she says, patience. 
It's one of the first words we want our daughter to learn. Patience. Patience. Some of you just grab your child right now. Patience. How much do we need the Lord at times to reach out and just put his hand on us when we're going through all that anxiety, all that worry? Patience. Because the children of God still need to learn that word. We need to get it in our hearts. It's so often that the first glimpse that we sense we know where God wants us to go, we run 100 miles ahead of him. We take it all into our own strength, and we often make a mess of things, thinking and wondering, God, where did, where did I miss you? He's like, back at the beginning, I gave you this much, and you thought you had the whole thing figured out and just took it right into your own hands. Don't we do that? Is anyone else guilty of doing that? Patience means continual waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon him for what it is that he is going to do. Nehemiah spent four months waiting upon the Lord. If you know the story, it took them 52 days to accomplish what took others years and they were unable to do. 52 days of work brought about a transformation that was nearly impossible. How many of you are excited about the parking lot that you drove into today and all the work that's gone into it? Can we give it up for our construction committee and all the people that have helped us with that, especially Felipe and Chris Marinello, they were watching every day to ensure that that would happen. I felt like that took almost a month to happen. With modern equipment, with modern machinery, with all the things that are, that are there, it took a long time to get all that together. In 52 days, they restored a city. They built a, now that's not to speak ill of the work that happened. This is, this is what happens, even with our best technology. I'm learning about a city they're going to build in New York City that looks like it's halfway done. They said it's not going to be ready until 2019. I said, what? They restored a city with no modern technology in 52 days. But do you realize the thing that we miss in the story so often is that Nehemiah had to wait before the Lord for this opportunity for over 120 days. He waited more than twice as long than it took for him to actually work and accomplish it. While others spent years working and were unable to do nearly half of what he was able to accomplish in 52 days. We need to realize that the time we spend waiting upon the Lord is not a wasted time. It is an invested time. And when we seek him first and when we spend a season patiently waiting upon the Lord, he is the one that's orchestrating our circumstances, our hearts. He's changing us. He's readying us and preparing us for the work that's going to take place. But oftentimes we try to take it into our own strength and we run ourselves ragged trying to take care of that. As I've thought about this and as I've wanted to run ahead of the Lord so often, I, I'm reminded of that sermon series we had back in February called A Season of Stillness because I knew God wanted to slow me down. He wanted to slow many of us down and just allow us just to be still before him. And I'm reminded of now three passages of scripture that God has used to just remind me again and again whenever I want to run ahead, when I want to move in a way that, that may feel like I'm jumping ahead of God in what his uh, unfolding plan is for my life. The first one is in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. It says this, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There are times when we don't understand how we're going to take on the things that are coming against us. The, the mountain that's in front of us seems so big and seems so insurmountable. And God wants to always remind his children, stand still and see the salvation of your Lord. Never forget that I'm with you. And never forget who is the one that has the power to save. Stand still. Lord, I need that reminder every day. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I go to Ruth in chapter 3, verse 18. When it says, sit still until you know how this matter will turn out. When I don't know where to go and I'm, I'm running around and trying to figure it all out on my own, sit still and allow the Lord to give his perspective 
and allow him to show how this matter is going to ultimately turn out. And then finally, and this is one that really has stood out to me and one that we've talked about, be still and know that I am God. In the stillness of those moments, you need to just slow down and realize I am not Lord of creation. I am not the one who's big enough to meet the needs that are around me. Lord, remind me that you are God. I am not. That you have the power to save, deliver, to work in this situation. As you patiently wait upon the Lord, he'll renew your strength, he'll mount you up, he'll lead and guide you. So wait upon the Lord in prayer. Wait upon him. Be patient before him. And as that happens, it will be a time when you are being sensitive to the Lord and you're waiting upon him that he will make it clear that it's now time to act. It's now time to move. And that's what happened in Nehemiah. And I love the response. I love the commentary that's happening here because it did not need to be said. But it was said as a reminder to us at the end of verse 2. So the king said to him, why are you uh, so upset you're not sick? It's sadness of heart. And look what Nehemiah, it says to him, then I was very much afraid. Why does he say that? You know why? Because when God's ready to birth that moment, when he needs you, it's your time to now step forth and do what he's called you to do. That's scary. Does anyone else get afraid? When God says, now's the time, you're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You've been waiting, saying, God, what's taking you so long? He said, okay, do it now. Oh, no, no, I need another week. Just give me another week. Give me another month. He says, then I was very much afraid. You know what happens oftentimes? As we're waiting, we're losing heart, and then as we lose heart and it's time to move, we're like paralyzed or we're procrastinating. No, you know, I'll do it again. I'll do it again next week. I'll do it. I'll take care of it later. In the same way that you're going to be patient before the Lord, you need to be proactive when he prompts you. You need to be ready to step right out and step in and be obedient to him and carry out exactly what he would have you to do. The reason why Nehemiah was so afraid is the same reason why we should be afraid when those opportunities come because we have thought through the ramifications of what's before us. There's a time that will come in every one of our lives, I believe, that you will be faced with this choice. Am I going to maintain my comfort or fulfill my calling? For some of you, you've been able to go through promotions and, and God has blessed you and anointed the work that you've done in your hands and you have walked a path where you have seen success in whatever way, that shape, and form that has come to you. And you have enjoyed that and you have maintained that and you have honored the Lord with your life and you're here and you're involved. But there may be a time when as God is unfolding his plans for your life that he says, I need you to now take a step out in faith and follow the path, the calling I have for you, but it's going to cost you your comfort. Are you willing to do it? And for often, the complacent among us, those who care more about the comfort than fulfilling God's calling for their life, will say, I can't give up my comfort. Nehemiah had such a prominent place, such a comfortable life. He was there and he had to come to terms now. Now is the time that God has given me. He's answered my prayer. Am I going to fulfill the calling and chase after the calling he has, even if it costs me my comfort? Am I willing to give up all that I have here and go to a place that is in ruins where I won't even know where I'm going to sleep at night to follow what God has for me? Whenever you get to that point, what decision is it that you will make? As you patiently wait upon the Lord, you need to be willing that when he prompts you, that you're willing to sacrifice even your comfort to fulfill what God has for your life. And that's exactly what happens for Nehemiah. As we go into... Verse 3, it says, he says to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and the gates have been consumed by fire? And then the king said to me, 
What would you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. Look at the, con- it just comes in again. We see him waiting patiently upon the Lord. And then as the opportunity comes, he pauses and he says, Lord, have your way now. He's trusting the Lord all along the way. You cannot bring, give birth to God-sized goals without trusting the Lord every step along the journey. Just like a child, hold the hand of their father or mother. Hold the hand of the Lord through the entire process. Don't let go because you know it's only by his strength that it could even happen. So he begins to speak out. And he says to the king in verse 5, If it would please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me of the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. He's saying, king, I need your tree guy to give me some lumber. That he may give me timber, that I can make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple and for the wall of the city and for a house that I can go and live in. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. And as he spoke out, as he did everything that he knew he was supposed to do and spoke exactly what the Lord would have him to in that moment, He got such a favorable report. But he was so quick, this is part of holding the hand of God as you walk through this, that he did not take any of the glory for himself. He didn't say it was by my might, by my power, by my eloquence, by my words. Here it was, the good hand of God was on me. The good hand of the Lord has been the one to get all the glory. Never, ever, ever take credit for the God-sized goals that he is meeting in your life. It's not in your own strength, it's not in your own power, it's only by the Lord that it was able to be accomplished. We learn the second lesson right throughout this passage of Scripture that not only was he patient, but in that patience, he wasn't doing nothing. It's evident that Nehemiah was planning. He was discerning God's heart, understanding what it is that the Lord would want him to do, and he was ongoing in in a way of planning. So as he is planning out what is ahead, do you think that in that moment all those ideas came to him about the timber and the letters and the what he's going to do and then he gave him a definite time? I mean, that wasn't something he thought of on the spot. He had gone through the process to plan it out. So many, we think that because it's a God-sized goal and because it's God's vision for our lives that, that we don't need to know any of it. How, well, how's that going to happen? I don't know. God does want to disclose the plan as well to his leaders. He does. He doesn't want you to figure out the plan. He wants you to discern the plan. He doesn't want you to decide the plan. But listen and discern and seek his will. And I believe over those four months at Nehemiah is seeking the Lord, the Lord's disclosing, if this is going to happen, this is what it will look like. And so whenever the time came, Nehemiah was ready with the plan, saying, here's the vision, here's the plan. Will, will you allow this to happen? And the Lord was upon him because of the planning that had taken place. So as that planning continues, we see in verse 11 that Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He says, I was there for three days, and I rose at night, and I and a few men with me, and I did not tell anyone what my God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem. See, the vision that was birthing in his heart, he said, I didn't tell anyone about it, and there was not even an animal with me. I guess he's worried about the animals telling someone, I'm not sure, (laughs) except the animal that I was riding. But you can imagine just how how alone he was in this moment. Just these few men who really have no idea why they're going out at night. 
And he says, I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, inspecting the gates, which had been consumed by fire. And at this moment, I want to just take, uh, take a second. I want to show you a picture of, of the area of Jerusalem. So this is a, a map of it. What you see in orange would be all the walls that are broken down around Jerusalem. And then every uh, little word bubble that you see there that has blue font are one of the different gates. Can we go back to the uh, one that's farther away? Go, go one more back. Yeah, that shows all the gates all around the city of Jerusalem and the wall that would be there. So all that wall is broken down and every one of those gates is burned by fire. That means any enemy coming from any angle, it's not like our homes that we have two or three doors to get into the house. And you know that if all the doors, locks are broken, you only have two or three places you have to look. If they were going to be attacked, you could attack through any gate and you could probably hop over any part of the wall at that time. Do you know how vulnerable a city would be in that time? Especially such a city of prominence at one point in time. People were taking full advantage of it. And so Nehemiah is down here, and let's zoom into the, to the, uh, the more close-up. This is the area that he is in. He says he starts at the valley gate, which is up there at the top, and he starts going down around the bottom there. And he comes by the uh, fountain gate and by the king's pool, which is right down there at the bottom. It says, when I passed, verse 14, the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for me to pass. Go back to that picture. Whenever he tried to come up that other side, so much debris was there, he could not even pass through it. And so he had to turn back around, it says. And he said, so I turned and I passed uh, through. Went up by night the ravine, inspected the wall, and then I entered the valley gate again and I returned. So he's looking all around here. He's seeing in the middle of the night, what everyone had been seeing, a hopeless situation. But at night, at the darkest part of the night, when no one else would even be able to see anything, Nehemiah was able to see more here than all the people around him. Do you know why? He saw the potential of what God was about to do. He said, I didn't tell anyone about what God was putting in my heart. And as he went, and as he looked, do you know what some people would have done? They would say, God, are you crazy? I'm not doing this. You sure it was Jerusalem you were talking about? Not this other place? Like, what are you doing? You know, Nehemiah, he saw it. And the next thing we see is he steps out and begins to tell them the plan of what they're going to do. It did not overwhelm him. It, you know, he, he has given enough commentary that he should have said here, and I sat down and then I wept for another year at what God had just told me I needed to be a part of. He didn't. Do you know why? Because he saw what no one else was able to see. The God-sized goal that he was birthing in his heart God showed him the potential of what could happen. He saw more at night than the people that lived there could see during the day of what God was about to do. Verse 16, the officials didn't know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I told as yet I didn't tell the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who did. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing or why I was there, what I had seen. And the very next thing that happens, as he goes through this season here, he, he has gone through the planning process. He has seen it, and he's able to see not just as it is, but as God desires for it to be. And he moves into the next phase, from planning to proclamation. There will be a time when God wants you to speak out that which he has put into your heart, that which he desires to bring to pass. We're not meant to keep silent with that, that at an appointed time, he desires for every person to share what it is that he is desiring to do. And this was the moment for Nehemiah. Verse 17 says, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in? That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned down by fire? 
Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we are no longer a reproach. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. At this point in the story, Nehemiah is so full of faith, he sees exactly what God can do through it. He's not overwhelmed or discouraged to give up by what he has seen. Instead, he rallies the people. He gives them a vision of what is right before them. And at this moment in time, if this were a church building project or this were something that you're dealing with at your house, there would be a statement that would come out that often comes out and deflates every tire of progress for moving forward with change. You know what it is? We've tried that before. Right? We've tried that before. What you didn't realize, some of you, as you read this story about the miracle of God's hand upon Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes, if you go over into Ezra chapter 4, you can read this on your own in verse 23, King Artaxerxes had already seen this happen before. He had allowed people to go in and begin to do the building of the walls during Ezra's time. And they were building for years. And guess what? They weren't making any progress. In fact, the king got so mad at them that in verse 23 of chapter 4, he says no more building in Jerusalem, period. They even sent soldiers and said, by force, we stopped them and all building ceased. So for Nehemiah to go to this king who, who had ceased all of that, it was the same exact king, and then asks him, and not only does he allow him to go, not only does he clear the entire way for it to happen, he even gives him his own lumber and timber to build with. That's a miracle of what God has been doing, what God has been birthing there. So Nehemiah, he sees it in, in, in the people who could have said that, or we've never done that before. We've never done that before, or we have done that before. Those are the two reasons so many people become discouraged, right? There are things that you've never seen happen, and you say, how could that ever happen, God? Well, he wants you to believe bigger. He wants you to believe that it can take place with him. It's possible. So many of us, we talk ourselves in and out of the things that we're going to do based upon whether it's we've done it before or we've never done it before. We've done it before and it didn't work out well. Or I've never tried it and there's a reason I never tried it because I don't think it's going to work. We need to put all that aside and say, God, I know what I feel, but what is it that you would have to happen right now? And so the people heard the vision of what God was going to do and the good hand of God was upon that leader and he inspired their hearts and saw they were able to begin to see what he could see. He had a vision for what God was going to accomplish and Nehemiah was able to challenge his own people. He was able to stand up and stand strong and represent them well. And you know what they did at that moment in time? They did exactly what he was inviting them to do. He said in verse uh, Verse 18, he says, arise, let us rebuild. He didn't say, I'm going to do it. He didn't say a few of us. He said, let's all of us come together. And the final part of that happening for everyone to come together, it requires not just that proclamation, but as they commit, it requires partnership. People putting their hands and their hearts to the task in front of them. And so they said in verse 18, and they said, let us arise and build. And so they put their hands to the good work. Do you know God is looking, if there's going to be a God-sized dream that's going to become a reality, it means it's bigger than any one person. And it requires his people, his body to say this, we will arise and build. Let us put our hands to this good work. Do you know that God has called you not to be a spectator, but a participator in the things that are happening in his kingdom? God has called us to play an active role to bring about the change he desires to see in this world. 
Oftentimes, we say, God, would you send an answer? Well, look what's happening with the refugees, Lord God. Would you just send them uh, some help, Lord? Would you just protect them? And would you, would you give that answer to them that they need right now? And we expect that God somehow could just move heaven and earth, and he can, or that he will just do that, and we will just look at the news one day, and it'll say, all this has been resolved, and, and Bibles floated down from heaven, and they all read the Bibles, and they all turned their hearts to the Lord, and, and revival is now broken out among the people. Can it happen? Yes, it can happen. But you know what God often does we see here in Scripture? He doesn't give us the answer. He gives us the opportunity. That's your prayer. That's where your heart is. I've been looking for someone who would desire to be used by me. And guess what? Here's the opportunity. You want to see God move among people that don't know him? Here are some boxes that you could package. And do you know that through a shoebox you can send the gospel to people who have never read it before? Oh, Lord, so you want me to be a part of this? Okay. Oh, could we just do so? I wish they could worship again. God gives us the opportunity as a church to build a refugee camp, church, and school right among an area in northern Iraq where we could never travel right now. And yet because we have taken the opportunity and availed ourselves and said, let's put our hands, our resources, our prayers towards this good work. Do you know what's happening today? There are hundreds of brothers and sisters now in the faith that are worshiping God in an area where ISIS was trying to exterminate them because we were able to dream a God-sized dream and see God bring about something impossible. It can't happen without us putting our hands to the good work that God has called us to. In 2013, we felt God had given us a God-sized goal of giving up a Sunday morning service and going out into our community and serving our neighbors with the love of Christ. We called it service for service, that we would give up a week of just coming to church to be the church, the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And we saw over 800 of you mobilized to go out and to serve people and to love people. People came to Christ, people got baptized, lives were changed, people are now in our church growing in their faith because of that outreach of effort. Two years later, we see that God's given us that, that vision again to go out and be his hands and feet in our community and to make a lasting impact. And we're so excited for October 11th, just a few months away. And over 600 of you have signed up to say we're ready to put our hands to this good work. And we're ready to see God do something God-sized in our community. It's so appropriate that we're in this passage of scripture on this stage. You know why? Because as we consider service for service, this is the day that we begin project signups for all the projects that are going to be underway in the next few months. So if you'd reach down in the end of your pews all the way to your right, you can pull out uh, these and pass them down to your neighbors. It's a service for service. It looks almost like your bulletin. And it gives you all the projects that we're going to have uh, to sign up for. And so today is the day that you can begin signing up for you and for your family. If you have not yet registered for service or service, you can just fill out a card today in the foyer before you leave. And you can also get signed up. Put it on your calendar for October 11th. If you open up that pamphlet, you're going to see all the different areas. And they have been designated to the age groups, to family friendly, to over 18, to children only. We are partnering with Ark of Union County to run activities and to do some fix-up work and projects. We're going to do a car wash and serve our neighbors on our grounds here. We're going to care for our body. I'm so excited that we're going to have the opportunity as the church to go and care for the widows that are among us in the church by going into their homes and caring for them and helping them with some fixing projects and just uh, giving them a word of encouragement. We're going to care for our community. We're going to do children's outreaches in all the neighborhoods around us in Plainfield here in Scotch Plains and see lives change through that. 
We're going to need volunteers for the day of. We're going to be partnering with Habitat for Humanity. Five homes are being built and given to families in Plainfield. We're going to do all the landscaping. And the great part is that the families that are receiving those homes are going to be working right alongside of us that day. How amazing would it be for those families to look and see that there's a church that loves them, that cares enough, that God cares enough about them to serve them at that hour. We're going to be doing intentional acts of kindness. We're going to go to the nursing homes. And for many that feel forgotten in those nursing homes, we're bringing the church to them. We're going to do services with them, pray with them, encourage them. We're going to have prayer intercessors doing prayer walks around our community, praying here within our building. We're going to have kids opportunities for kids that are three years old to third grade to make projects, crafts, things that will be sent out to serve our neighbors and others in the body. And we have Salvation Army to do some beautification and painting over in Plainfield. These are the projects. And of all these projects, we have over 700 spots that can be filled just with those. So we want you to sign up today. We want you to get um, involved. It's going to be really easy. If you've already signed up for service for service, you're going to get an email. You click on that email and you're going to go right in and be able to select which project you'd like to do. If you haven't yet or you would like some help with that, we have people waiting out in the foyer with iPads. Someone praise God for modern technology. Uh, We're so glad we have this ability. So you can go out there and meet the team. They'll have iPads and they'll help you select the projects that you'd like to get involved with. This is one of the great ways to literally put your hands to the good work that God wants to do. Amen? So that's it. That's a way to carry out God's word today and the message that he has for us. Another way is through, um, through your giving, through you partnering with us in that way. And we are going to start something called Change for Change, which is very easy uh, to understand. We're going to collect change, and that change is going to be poured out to change our community. So everything that comes in through your loose change, how many have spare change laying around the house? You're going to take a cup on your way out, fill it up with change, and we literally are able to raise thousands of dollars to go towards the projects that we're going to be doing over the next couple months. So go ahead and do that, and we're excited to be able to raise funds in that way. And finally, yesterday, we had our rummage sale. Thank you for those of you that gave your treasures to the church. Some of you didn't think you were giving us treasures, but someone paid some money for it. It was a treasure to someone. Um, And so they were excited. People were overjoyed. I saw people come in. I heard about people that had tears in their eyes saying, I can't believe this is my stuff. I can't believe the shape it was when I got to you. It was cleaned up by our great team. And we raised a few thousand dollars yesterday alone just on that. Things people would have thrown away. And uh, we can celebrate that together. It was great. And as they were getting ready to end, they thought there's still a lot of stuff left. Is there any way that after second service today, we could just leave this set up as a store and let the church walk through and see if they want anything. So we said yes, and so as you leave today, you can walk over and you can take one final look to see if there's anything you're interested in and you'd like to contribute towards uh, service for service. All the funds we raise is going straight into serving our community in October. Amen? So that's going on from right after this service all the way until 3 o'clock today, and you can take part in that if you would like. As the worship team comes forward, I'm going to give you the final piece what it means for us to see God-sized goals come to reality in our lives. It requires not just patience, planning, proclamation, and partnership, but ultimately perseverance. This is the most important part because time and again, there will be things that could slow you down. And Nehemiah learned that lesson very quickly. As soon as he received the letters, he ran into trouble. Right after the king gave him all that permission, it says this, I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters that the king had sent me even with officers of the army and horsemen. Verse 10, but Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it and it was very displeasing to them. 
because there was someone that had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. These were the enemies of the people of God. The Ammonites were those that despised them. They loved the fact that this city was an embarrassment, that the walls were torn. They, it, was like, it was like their Super Bowl trophy. They loved it. They loved that the people of God had been despised. And so they were so upset that Nehemiah now comes wanting to do something to help them. And so that was Nehemiah before he came to Jerusalem. Imagine how they felt after he had rallied all the people together and now they're looking in and they're seeing these people saying, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to rebuild these walls. Well, we see how they responded to it in verse 19. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and they despised us and they said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They're like, are you going to rebel against them? They have the letters there. And here's what Nehemiah answered. I love how he overcame this opposition. He said, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you, you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. Believe me, the time is coming. These walls will be built and you're out of here. It's over. God's reestablishing his way. There's a time that was coming to them that they had to overcome and persevere. And that's exactly what God's calling us to do in these days, amen? There'll be things, the resistances that can come, but God's looking to put it in the hearts of his people to be a persevering people, to be those that we see in Revelation to him who overcomes. You receive the promise of life. To him who overcomes, you're the one that eats of the fruit of the tree of life. You, him who overcomes, you're the one that will be established with me in eternity forever. It requires perseverance along the way. And they will soon learn, and we're going to be talking about this in the next weeks ahead, that some of the greatest threats to them were not any of those men, but it was the inward compromises that were being made among the people. And so God needs to address that. There are things maybe going on in your own heart. You're your own worst enemy right now. You're not able to persevere past the issues that you haven't yet let before the Lord and let go. God desires to bring you freedom today. He desires to lead you today. He desires to inspire you today, to put your hands towards the work that he wants to accomplish. And when we do that together, church, do you know what we give birth to? God-sized goals. Ones that are inspired by him and can only be accomplished through his strength and through our unity. God-sized goals can only happen through our partnering with God and our partnering with one another. So would you stand with me today and would you just open your heart before the Lord and let me pray for you. You've heard God's word today. For some of you, you need patience. For others of you, you're in a different place on this spectrum. You, you're, you've not planned, you've not sought the will of God with the affairs of what's in front of you. You haven't had the boldness to speak out. We see Nehemiah was willing to speak when the time came and many, we become mute whenever that happens. Allow the Lord to burn a fire in your heart to speak and be who he's called you to be partnering together, not being isolated, but linking arms and linking hearts and putting your hand to the work that God has for you and living a life that perseveres, that casts off the things that will weigh you down and trip you up and run with perseverance the race marked out for you, the race that Jesus has for you. So wherever you are today, would you just say, God, this is where I need you to meet me so that I can see your plans and purposes come to pass in my life. Lord Jesus, you see every heart in every life today. You see every 
peace, Lord God, that, that, that is being played out in every life today, Lord God. I pray right now that you would intervene, Lord God, at each key point along the way, Lord God, so that we can see the God-sized goals that you're birthing in the lives of your people come to a reality. May nothing stop your work from going forward. Lord, we pray today, Lord God, that we would never be in a place where we will sacrifice your calling for our own comfort and convenience, Lord God. Lord, help us, Lord, to have a vision for where you're calling us and to run after it with all of our hearts. Lord, stir our hearts, inspire our hearts today, Lord God. And may we look back and see that God has done the impossible through us in the days and the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have our prayer workers here. This is the time where we just respond to God's word together. And you can come forward and pray with someone if you have a need connected to the message or maybe a need in your life. We're here for you. If you'd like to worship and just spend time reflecting on God's word, we're going to be going through a worship song that you can take part in. For everyone else, save your conversations with the foyer. And there's a lot for you to get involved with out there. So please feel free to enjoy that. And we'll see you again next week. God bless.